0: Well, hey, I am so glad that you're all here. I am thrilled about this sermon, Uh, working on it this week and waking up this morning. I could not wait to deliver this sermon. I titled this one, which just makes me laugh, because when's the last time you heard a good sermon on Nahum? (laughs) (laughs) I was doing some reading on it, and uh, there was one commentary that said, no one ever preaches on Nahum, and I don't think I've ever heard a sermon on Nahum. Have you? That's why this one is titled This. And uh, for anyone taking notes at home, I feel it's important. Here's a bit of my bibliography, what I've been reading that has helped shape my uh, thinking on this particular sermon. I want to give credit where credit is due. Uh, so, a few commentaries by uh, John Goldingay, I think his name is, uh, The Lost Letters to the Twelve Prophets, Peter N's Curveball, which is an absolutely amazing book if you're looking for some new reading. And, uh, This is one staple that I have right there by my desk, the Jewish Study Bible, which is immensely helpful for understanding the Old Testament if anyone is looking for a new study Bible. Uh, So those are a bunch of my sources for our sermon this morning. We're in this series talking about the prophets. We're in the uh, the season of Lent. And let me give you a little background of Nahum, the book that we will be talking predominantly about this morning. Nahum was written... Sometime between 663 and 612 BCE. We're going back quite a few years. Uh, This was written a pretty long time ago. A couple thousand years ago. And the premise of this book, the reason why Nahum was written, why Nahum was delivering these prophecies, uh, we're told right in the beginning that Nahum is a pronouncement of Nineveh. Judgment on Nineveh. Nineveh Nineveh is the Assyrian capital at this time Assyria was the major global Superpower until 612 BCE when it was destroyed by Babylon so Nahum had to have been written sometime before the destruction of Nineveh of Assyria It's talking about events that are in the near future. It's talking about the destruction of Nineveh the collapse of this massive global Superpower The audience, so who is it that Nahum is speaking to? Nahum is speaking to Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel. Uh, Jerusalem uh, would have been part of Judah as well. Then why was it written? Nahum in Hebrew, it means comfort. The book of Nahum is to be a book of comfort for those living in Judah, for those living in Jerusalem. Just the name itself brings this idea of comfort. And basically what Nahum is saying is the evil empire is being destroyed. Those who have oppressed you, those who are holding power over you, well, they will see the end of their power. This was very important because the Northern Kingdom, if we remember, Israel was separated into two parts. You have the Northern Kingdom, and then you have the Southern Kingdom. The Northern Kingdom was destroyed. It was conquered by Assyria in 722. So at the time that Nahum is speaking, the time in which it, this book was being written, you only have the Southern Kingdom left. The Northern Kingdom had been conquered already by Assyria. The people living there had been deported. They had been taken from their homes, from their land, and forced to live somewhere else within the Assyrian Empire. And Judah, the surviving part of Israel, it was surrounded on all sides by Assyria. And they were under constant threat that Assyria would come and do to them exactly what they did to the northern kingdom. If you're living in Judah and Jerusalem at this time, You're worried that the Assyrian Empire might come conquer you and then remove you from your home. Here's a map to help us see what's going on here. Everything in yellow would be the Assyrian Empire. Pretty big empire, right? Massive. Stretching all the way out there to the east, all the way down to Egypt. And you see that small red portion right in the middle of the yellow right there kind of a little bit towards the bottom that's the kingdom of Judah surrounded in every direction by Assyria under constant threat so when Nahum comes with the message comfort comfort because the evil Empire is being destroyed there's a little bit of hope There's a glimmer of hope because this empire that has been threatening you and you're worried, are are they going to do to us what they did to our cousins, to those living in the northern part of Israel? But now all of a sudden Nahum says, don't worry, they will be destroyed. So Nahum is a book of comfort and it is a book of hope. Now let's ask a couple of questions this morning to understand exactly what Nahum is doing. First question, what reason does Nahum give for Nineveh being destroyed? Here we are, Nahum 3, 1. Woe to the city of blood. Sounds like a horror movie. The city of blood coming 2024 in January. Woe to the city of blood, full of lies, full of plunder, never without victims. How would that be for a Torah's pamphlet? Welcome to the city of blood, Come check out the city that is full of lies and plunder. You too can be a victim of this city. Come and join us this Halloween. (laughs) This is the reason why Nineveh is being destroyed. Let's look at these phrases a little closer. The city of blood, uh, the Hebrew, would be the word bloodshed. What this implies is that this is how the city's people would have been treating each other. Would you like to be living in a city of bloodshed? neighbor against neighbor, wrongly, poorly treating each other. Uh, Here is how uh, Goldingay puts it in his commentary on the Minor Prophets, specifically on Nahum. The well-off and powerful people behave in ways that cause the deaths of people without resources and power. Why is Nineveh, why is the Assyrian capital, the Assyrian empire being destroyed? Because those at the top are using their power in a way that is causing the death of those at the bottom. This is the city of bloodshed. It's also a city full of lies, filled with deceit. Once again, the powerful are deceiving and cheating the powerless. The powerful are stealing land, possessions from the powerless. Sounds like a great place, does it not? We all want to move there. It's full of plunder, robbing each other, taking things by force it's a city of violence and it is never without its victims constantly there are those who are suffering under this oppressive empire there's lives that are being destroyed the way in which this empire is operating is causing massive loss of life for people living there but also people who are being conquered by this empire, the Assyrian Empire. Some scholars think this would have been the most brutal empire that existed in the ancient world. There are all these documents talking about the brutality of the Assyrians when they would come into your homeland, capture you, remove you by extreme force and violence. Uh, This is an empire of violence that takes by force with no concern for who gets stepped on along the way. Clearly, clearly this goes against God's design or God's desire for the world. Clearly. Do we even need to ask any questions? So what's the reason for Nineveh being destroyed is because the way in which they are living, the way in which this empire is operating, it goes against how God desires for us to structure society. God has this desire, this design for how we are to live in relationship with each other. And the Assyrian Empire is doing everything it possibly can to move in an opposite direction of that desire. People's lives are being destroyed because of how this society has been structured. Uh, Here's Nahum 111. From you has one come forth who plots evil against the Lord and devises wicked plans out of Nineveh comes those who are devising evil against the Lord Nahum raises a question which is a question I'm sure many of us ask whose side is God on in the world at this time maybe even in the world today that we live in we ask this question well whose side is God on In the ancient world, possibly in our world as well, it's those who are at the top who are being blessed by God. Well, of course it's the people who are successful. Of course it's the people with wealth, with possessions, with power, with money. The people at the top are the people who God must be siding with because that means that they have the blessing of God. And then those at the bottom, I mean, don't we think this sometimes when life isn't going our way? God must be against me. There must be something that I have done. There must be some reason why God's blessing is not upon me, but yet it's upon them because they appear to be pretty successful. So whose side is God on? Here's how Nahum answers the question. The Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him. And the Lord says, although they, speaking of Nineveh, even though they have allies and they're numerous, they will be destroyed and pass away. Nineveh, like any empire back in the day or any empire active today, there was a a sense of pride. There's no way our downfall will ever happen. They had become so powerful and so prideful. And here's what God says. Yeah, they're numerous. They have allies. They're living in comfort. It seems like their kingdom will go on forever and ever, but in actuality, they will be destroyed and they'll pass away. Although I have afflicted you, Judah, I will afflict you no more. Now I will break their yoke from your neck and tear your shackles away. It's a picture of hope. You've been afflicted. They have done violence to you. They have caused harm to your people. They've instilled fear within your hearts. I'm removing those shackles. I will break the yoke. It's a picture of hope for those who are being oppressed by this massive empire. Now, whenever we read the Bible, here's a very important fact that we must take into consideration. The Bible was not written by those in power. For us today in the 21st century who live in America, I think it's very, very hard for us to understand this truth because we're kind of the ones on the top. We're sort of the ones in power. We read the Bible, Through our cultural lens. But we have to remember the Bible, it wasn't written by the winners. The Bible was written by those who have suffered years and years of oppression. The Bible was written by those who didn't have any power. Who were under threat from these military superpowers who kept wanting to come. I mean, that's the history of Israel. One superpower over their land after another. After Assyria, it was Babylon. And so the Bible was written by those at the bottom. This is not how we typically read history. History is normally written by the winners. Think about middle school, high school, uh, whenever you uh, had American history, how different would our understanding of history be if we read an account of America through the lens of the Native Americans. We understand the history of America through the lens of American history. But what if we were to read accounts of those who suffered on the Trail of Tears? What would happen if we were to read the history of America through the lens of those who we conquered? Those who were here before us those who we have inflicted violence upon our history might look a little different our understanding of what happened might be a little different when we read the Bible we have to remember that the Bible was written by those who needed hope those who needed comfort those who are at the bottom Who had suffered massive oppression? Nahum 3:19. Here's how the book ends: Nothing can heal you, Nineveh. Your wound is fatal. The language here, this is so rich. It's so deep. Remember what you have just experienced: living in Judah, constant threat. And now Nahum comes with a message, nothing will heal you, Nineveh. Your wound is fatal. You will not rise from the ashes. And all who hear the news about you, they clap their hands at your fall. And then Nahum ends with a question. For who has not felt your endless cruelty? Then the prophet goes silent. Who has not felt your endless cruelty? It's a powerful picture. Everyone is clapping their hands. Probably would have looked something like this. Nineveh is being destroyed. Judgment upon Nineveh. But not so fast. Later prophets, the prophets who come after Nahum, they will use the same imagery and visions of Nahum to describe the impending fall of Jerusalem. The very people that Nahum is addressing the very people that he is bringing comfort to well the words of destruction that he used they would later prophets would have used these very same words and images to talk about the impending doom of Judah everyone is clapping their hands everyone is excited because this oppressive Empire is ending but now The tables are being turned, and the prophets now come with a message to Judah. Instead of comfort and hope, it's a message of destruction. And here's how uh, John Goldingay says it, which I think is a beautiful way to put it. You can only rejoice in Yahweh putting down your imperial overlord if you don't share the empire's waywardness. You can only clap at this superpower being destroyed if you don't act like this superpower. You can't be overjoyed at the fact that they are being destroyed when you yourselves are building a kingdom that is founded on violence and injustice. The very things that are being condemned in Assyria, well, now the prophets begin condemning those things in Judah. So the question that is raised in Nahum for the original audience, but for us today, Thousands of years later, are there any ways that we have built our empire, whether it's our personal empire, our collective national empire, any ways that we've built that empire on injustice? Any ways that we have built our empire on violence, on greed, on seeking power and might at the expense of others? See, Nahum is a really, really important book. It serves as a warning for Judah, but for us as well. And Nahum says that an empire that's built on violence and justice and a lack of mercy, it cannot sustain itself. But only a way of living that's rooted in love, justice, and mercy. That's the only way of living that can endure and sustain itself. A way of living that is built on violence, it will crumble. It will be destroyed. It cannot be sustained. The only way of living that can go on indefinitely is a way of living that's rooted in love. How you treat your neighbor. How you respond to the vulnerable. How you care for the oppressed. How you use your power. The resources, that which you have to support those who feel like they are at the bottom. You can't make life all about yourself and just attempting to acquire more and more and more at the expense of others because that way of living will surely be destroyed. So we have these questions for us Has our way of living, how we're living personally, How we're living as a nation, have we inflicted harm on people? Think about our religion. Is there any way in which our religion has inflicted harm on anyone else? We don't really have to look too far. Unfortunately, the sad reality is yes, our religion, our nation, even some of the ways in which we live our lives it inflicts harm upon other people. The challenge of Nahum is what are those ways and how can we begin moving in a way that produces more love within us, within our nation, within this religion of following Jesus? Have we left any victims in our wake? Now, after Nahum... Babylon comes. Well, Babylon first destroys Assyria, and then Babylon comes and destroys Judah, and then all of Israel is taken into exile. So you have Nahum. Assyria will be destroyed. Everyone rejoices, but then the prophets come and say, not so fast. You're actually living just like Assyria was living, so you're going to be destroyed as well which is exactly what happens. Babylon comes in, but then after the Israelites are exiled, there's a return from exile during the Persian period because all those empires, all those evil empires, again, they can't stand because they are built on injustice, violence, greed, not caring for those at the bottom. So then you have a new empire that comes in the Persian Empire, and they tell the Israelites, you can return home. During this period, which would have been uh, 538 BCE, so about 100 years later, during this period, you have another book that shows up in your Old Testament. It's the book of Jonah. Jonah was written after the exile. Sometime after 538 BCE, once the Israelites were allowed to return to their homeland, when the Persians said, you can go back home, Now Israel is starting to rethink things. They've had this experience. They have all the things that their prophets were telling them. They have their experience of exile. They're now beginning to rethink their religion. They're beginning to rethink their understanding about who God was and how God desires for them to live as people. They're reflecting, as you all do. Whenever you go through a tough period, you give some thought to what just happened. You think about, well, how, how did this change me? How was I transformed through this experience? This is what the book of Jonah is all about. And uh, Jonah is a book about which particular group of people do we know? Nineveh. We have two prophetic books about Nineveh. In Nahum, what happens to Nineveh? Your wound is fatal. Judgment upon you. Here's how the book of Jonah talks about Nineveh. When Jonah's warnings reached the king of Nineveh, remember, Jonah was told, "Go to this city, tell them to repent." So, when his warnings, "Otherwise, judgment, destruction will come to you." So, when this warning reached the king, he rose from his throne, he took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. "By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks taste anything." Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Which raises a question. Wait, what? We just had a story about Nineveh being destroyed because of how evil and oppressive they were. Now we have another story which tells us Nineveh, Assyria, repented, and they were saved from destruction. This is all in the same Bible? What? Is going on here. During this time, when the Israelites were returning to their land, they were doing some soul searching, as we all would do after having undergone such a crushing experience. And they're asking questions like, well, is God still with us? We hadn't acted as God's people, and there was judgment. There was exile. We were removed from the land. Th- does that mean that God has forever abandoned us? Is is God still for us? Are we still God's people? During this time of soul-searching, of asking these deep, deep introspective questions, the book of Jonah emerged. And the book of Jonah has many different themes that we could spend weeks talking about, but I want to pull out i believe it's two themes here first jonah is a it's a book of hope it's a book of hope you're returning home for the first time in generations you're returning back to your land with all these questions are, are we still god's people what does it mean for us moving forward jonah is a book of hope because it shows that god is a god who restores God is a God who can redeem all things. Even the worst that can happen to you. Even the worst that you yourself can do. And as humans, we can do some pretty bad things. The book of Jonah comes and says, God redeems all of it. Jonah shows that God is a God of forgiveness. God is a God who does not hold our sin against us. God is able to birth new from the ashes of destruction. The book of Jonah shows a picture of a compassionate God. After judgment comes restoration. We looked at this verse last week from Isaiah, which was also written after the exile, Isaiah chapter 40. Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her. Her hard service has been completed. Her sin has been paid for. She has received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. Comfort, comfort. The time of judgment, the time of exile has passed. Now is the season of new. So Jonah, at the heart of this book, it's a picture of hope. God can redeem and restore all of it. Also, the book of Jonah shows an image of a bigger God. A bigger God than who the Israelites had been living with. The Israelites, they were humbled by their exile experience. Have you ever experienced a moment in life that has humbled you? You thought you knew everything? You thought you were at the top You thought nothing could possibly go wrong, that God was always going to be for you, and that your way of living would continue forever, but then something happens. Instead of at the top, you find yourself at the bottom. The exile experience humbled the Israelites, and they realized that despite being God's people, they also have been complicit in a way of living that goes contrary to God's desire despite being God's people, didn't mean that they could just live however they wanted to live. But they realized that they were guilty of the same sins, the same way of living that the Assyrian Empire was involved in. And they realized it's much easier to point the finger at others than to own your part. It's much easier to condemn sin in someone else than to point the finger at yourself and look at where you have fallen off the path. Where you might not be living the way in which God desires for your life to be. They realized it wasn't just their enemies. It wasn't just the Ninevites who were causing destruction to this creation, but they were involved as well. Their lives also weren't reflecting this life that God desires. And so their lives, their sin, was leading to decay and destruction as well. They realized God might not just be for you and your group. God might not be your personal God that is only for your religion and your group of people. But rather, they came to realize, and this is what Jonah says loud and clear, God, brilliant idea, God might actually be for all people. God's love might actually be for every single person. God's heart of mercy and forgiveness. It it might not just be for your group, but rather it might be for every single person human being regardless of what empire they lived in of what religion they practiced the book of jonah is showing a picture of a bigger god than who the israelites had believed in before the exile god might love your enemies as much as god loves you hard for us to grasp Hard for us to believe. We look at people. We look at their lives. We look at how they're living. We look at the things that they believe. And we think, glad I'm not like them. God must be against them. God must not love them because they don't believe the things exactly how I believe things. Well, the book of Jonah comes and says, God's love the people that you despise, the people that you look down upon, the people that you think are wrong, God's love might be just as much for them as it is for you. Here's Jesus in his words. You've heard it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven, Jesus is reframing the Israelite faith here. He's pushing further on the book of Jonah. He's saying, you've heard it said, hate your enemies. Hate Nineveh for how they're living. But then Jesus, Jonah, there's this message, love your enemies because God has love for every single person. So here's the challenge of the book of Nahum for us. Here's the Lenten part. A question for us to reflect on. Are there any ways that your life has been built on injustice? Are there any ways that your life has been built on violence or greed or seeking power, might, acquiring more and more at the expense of others? Has your way of living inflicted harm on anyone? It's a challenging question. It's not an easy question. Maybe that's why the book of Nahum isn't preached very often. It's a sobering message. We're forced to reflect on our lives. And rather than just deflecting and looking outside of ourselves, we're forced to look within and ask, is there any way that I'm complicit in moving this creation away from the way in which God desires and has designed for things to be maybe this season of lent you don't necessarily need a challenge but you need the hope that nahum or jonah brings have you experienced a time of oppression or exile and you now need a message of comfort spoken over you this morning do you need to hear again god is on your side regardless of where you find yourself, of what you've been through, of what you think about yourself, what you believe is true about you, may you hear these words spoken over you. God is forever with you. And God can redeem the worst that you have been through. Does anyone need a picture of hope? in their lives this morning. And then what about a call to love? Which is also kind of like a challenge. Are there any people, are there any groups that you have seen outside, you've seen that they're outside of God's love, and you need to begin seeing them through the lens of God's love and grace? Is there anyone that you've been looking at? Maybe it's a particular group of people. People who you don't necessarily agree with. You look at their lives and you think, well, they must be outside of God's blessing. They must be outside of God's grace and God's love. Maybe there's particular people that come to mind right now and you think of them and they get under your skin and you're thinking, judgment day is coming. You ever have a friend like that? I had a friend like this, and whenever someone did something, they would always be like, Judgment Day is coming on them. I don't think that's really God's heart. It's not the heart of Jesus. So are there any particular people or any groups, and you've seen them as outside of God's love, and you need to reframe how you're looking at others? Because the truth is we're all in need. And I think this is, this is what Nahum and this is what Jonah communicate clearly. We are all in need of divine grace and mercy. May we recognize it for ourselves. And may we see others through that lens as well.